We're preparing our hearts to come to the table of the Lord as well as uh, continuing our series, What Happened. And tonight we're going to be talking about what happened at the cross. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. Paul wrote these words. He said, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Amen. It's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer or the arguer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews request a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So, Paul begins uh, here in Corinthians, in fact, later in the 15th and 16th chapter of 1 Corinthians, he goes into a wonderful discourse on the cross and the resurrection and all of these wonderful themes. But tonight we want to zero in just for a moment or two that we have on the cross. And most people are familiar with a cross all over America, really all over the world. The cross is a familiar symbol. In fact, it's such a familiar symbol that um, people get tattoos of crosses on their arms or on their body. Um, people get crosses, gold and silver crosses. In fact, I saw the other day on an infomercial, you can get a silver cross with, and it's, it, it's only about yay big, but on the inside, if you have a certain magnifying lens, You'll see the Lord's Prayer inside that cross. An amazing thing. An infomercial for that. So, so we're well aware of crosses. It's amazing. You can go to rock concerts and you can see the entertainers with crosses. In fact, there are, there are some that I think you would probably defile your eyes watching them. And yet there'll be a cross right there on them. The cross. Familiar symbol is it not all over the world and the thing that i have learned now through the years is that is that people see the cross and they know the information about the cross but they've never received a revelation of the cross we know the story but the story has not been impactful or transformational in our lives and there's a big difference between information and revelation you can know the facts of the story. You can know exactly what's going to happen all through Passion Week as Jesus moves through the last week of his life and all those familiar events. But you may not have a clue as to the power that those events can have in each and every life. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, um, and, and the reason we do this on Wednesday night and don't put it up on the screen is because it's just good for your fingers to open up God's Word. 2 Timothy chapter 3 Paul writes here uh, the characteristics of the end times. And he says in 2 Timothy 3, 1, he says, But know this, that in last days perilous times will come. He says they'll be exceedingly fierce. They're going to be tough days. 
He tells us why in verse 2, men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. And here in verse 5, it says that they have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. And from such, turn away. So Paul says that in the last days, sin, and, and I define sin in its irreducible residue as basically selfishness, self-centeredness. If you want to know what sin is, you can reduce every sinful act down to this concept. I want what I want when I want it. I don't care who says no. If, even if God says no, I want it. It's self-centeredness, self-consumption, selfishness. And Paul says that in the last days, this self-centeredness would manifest in some of the most egregious forms. People would be so dominated by their selfishness. They'd be so dominated by the power of their senses that these days would be described as dangerous and hard to deal with. In fact, the most fascinating thing in all of those verses to me is in verse 5, he makes the point that they have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. So let's just break it down to where we're at. They'll go to church, but it won't make a bit of difference. They have a form, they have a look, they have an attachment. They've checked the list off, they've been there, they've done that, they've got the t-shirt. They'll have all these things that appear as if godliness is an operation. Really, it's not godliness, it's religion. But there would be no power in it. In fact, he would go on later to say that they would be ever learning, but unable to come to the knowledge of the truth. Boy, is that not the day we're living in? You can download all sorts of instruction, teaching, turn on the television set, get your DVDs, your CDs. We've got 500 cable channels. I've got some set on some upper channels where there's about 10 Christian stations right in a row you can hit. I mean, we have, we have got information overload, but we do not have revelation overload. I'm hesitant to say, but I believe before us in some ways, we're watching the rise of the apostate church. It's a church that appeals to our senses. However, however, it never unveils in demonstration or teaching how to access true power. It never unveils to us what it means to have true transformation take place in our life. We're living in a day where we have the church of the natural instead of the church of the supernatural. It's one where we walk in our senses and we're entertained and we're pleased. And we're empowered by all these natural elements when God's wanting to empower us in the inner man. See, he didn't call us to walk by our senses. He called us to walk by the Spirit. And he says in last days, there will be those that will just walk away from what the cross and all that it has for us entails. They'll walk away from it and they'll choose their self-centeredness. Now, before I get to the cross, I, I do want to spend just a moment having to talk about a subject that we don't talk about much anymore. Whatever happened to sin? Now you understand why the cross was necessary. The cross was necessary because we have a problem. And our problem is not that we've not been self-actuated. Our, our, our issues are not that we've just not been counselor enough. Our problems are not just the fact that um, we don't have enough information. Our problem at the root is a, a sin problem. And most people understand that the cross has something to do with sin. They know, they know that sin exists, the cross exists, and somehow these things are supposed to work together. And, and, 
And so they have sort of general concepts, but, but I think it's important for just a moment to see how most people just sort of feel about the avoidance of sin. Now, I, I've been pastoring a lot of years. You all know that. And it's just been interesting to listen, listen to folks deal with sin in their life. I've, I've heard these things. Well, you know, if I avoid it, you're taking away my fun. Sin is fun. Do you know the Bible even teaches that? There's pleasure in sin for a season. So I always look at people and say, well, that's scriptural. Sin is fun. It is fun. There, there are things that empower and entice, and it seems to be fun. The key isn't what it feels like at the moment. The key is where it leads. See? Now, I've heard this one. Well, it should be okay as long as I'm not hurting anyone. This is, our, this is really a, a, a libertarian Christian viewpoint. I'm not hurting anybody. Hey, we're consenting adults. Well, isn't that wonderful? But, but the fact isn't whether or not we're hurting one another. The fact is, have we grieved God? See, number three. Well, you know, Pastor, most of these rules that God gives, they're just really unrealistic for a human being. Some ways you're right. They do seem unrealistic. So isn't it good to know that you're never required to walk that out yourself? You see, that's why he jumps inside of you. And greater is he who is in you than he that's in the world. And what I can't do by myself, he can do in me and through me. See? See, because no longer do I have to obey the commandments that are written on stone. But the good news is, is that God now has written his word on my heart. And so now what was penned in stone that I couldn't live is now written on my heart that I find great joy in being obedient to him. I've listened to some say, well, you know, this is just who I am. You know, that's funny. Sin is just who I am. Like I just get. Drunk every weekend, it's just who I am. I just run around on my wife or my family. It's just who I am. It's, it's, it's I lie. It's just who I am. I cheat. It's just who I am. Don't you, don't you understand? It's a personality defect. No, it's sin. And then I'd listen to this one. It's the ones who say, after all of this, well, you know, Pastor, God knows my heart. Really doesn't matter what I do. God knows my heart. Yeah, he does know your heart because the scripture also tells us that if you love God, you would do what he said. Amen. Now, all of this stuff is just ways we sort of deal with the concepts of sin around us. But can I just tell you what the real deal about sin is? This is the real deal. When when the initial sin took place and Adam and Eve were there in the garden and they partook of the fruit. In fact, Eve partook of the fruit, gave it to Adam you can almost hear the conversation that was going on. Hey, what really is the big deal about fruit? What's the big deal about, I don't know what it is. It, you know, I mentioned to you, it could have been an olive. I didn't know until recently olives were fruit. That would be a disappointment to me if I was going to sin. <laughs> and I got an olive. I mean, if I was going to sin, I would at least want to collapse under something better than that. I don't know what it was. It could have been an olive. Who knows? Maybe, maybe it was an apple. Maybe it was an orange, a peach, a pear, pomegranate. Who knows? I mean, what is it? It's just a fruit. Why is it fruit? It doesn't make sense. Why, why, why would even God care about this fruit? You see, it's, it's not the fruit. It's what the fruit did. 
it took Adam and Eve out of, out of the walk that they had with God, which was unencumbered, which was pristine in those days, and, and it caused them suddenly to be bound by their senses. When, when Satan looked at them and said, the minute that you would eat of it, you would be as God, and then the Bible says that their eyes were opened, what that scripture means is their senses were empowered. At that moment, their senses were empowered. And from that moment on, mankind, you, me, everyone, has been what the Bible says is carnal. And, and the word carnal means simply to be dominated by your senses. If you want to know what being carnal is, carnal is being dominated by your senses. And sin, sin empowers your natural senses and it moves you away from God. It empowers that part of you that thinks you can do it on your own and live it on your own and and you don't have any restrictions or rules and there's no boundaries in your life. It empowers that part of you that distance you from God and His help and His mercy and His grace and His plan. And God wants to live big in our lives, but He can't live big in our lives until He first deals with the sin issue. You see, I can never convince a world, for instance, that that whether it's drinking or drugs or promiscuity, their lasciviousness, the breaking of covenants, I, I will never be able to convince a world that these things are not fun. If I was a, if I was a preacher that just stood before you and said, don't, don't drink, it's no fun. How many of you know if you went back and told that to your coworkers, 95% of them were saying, you're crazy. The reason they do it every weekend because there's some fun to it. If I were to look at you and say, be true in your marriage, be true, uh, be true in, in, in your relationships and, and, and say, it's no fun, it's no fun running around. Do you know that there are thousands and millions of people running around and it's fun to them? You see, we'll never convince a world to, to stop alienating themselves from God because, because that's really not fun. They look at us like we've lost our mind. They look at most of us thinking we're not having any fun. You see, the natural man delights in these things because it empowers the natural man. But you were created to walk in the Spirit. And when you walk in the Spirit, that's where healing takes place and wholeness takes place and deliverance takes place and prosperity and abundance and success takes place. The world is happy for a moment. We have joy unspeakable and full of glory. The world sometimes gets some sense of peace of mind if they can figure everything out. But the scripture says we have a peace that passes and transcends all understanding. See, the question is, is whether you're going to live in that which is temporal or whether you'll live in that which is eternal. You were created to live in the eternal. And the good news of the gospel is, is that the cross, what Jesus provided on the cross, gives us access. It deals with the sin issue. And it gives us access to those things that are eternal. Now, I want to give you the real reason for the cross. Most Christians in America, in America have only understanding in one or two areas. This is maybe. And, and, I, and I say this gently and lovingly, but this is just kind of where we are. We're, 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 we're sort of just in, in kiddie land in, in, in most Christian places in America. And we've, we've got to break out and mature. Two things most Christians in America do understand. Though Number one, the cross was there to forgive them. And that is true. The cross is there to forgive you. But can I just share this with you in the scripture? In fact, I could show you places. You know, when Jesus was on this earth and he walked amongst people on this earth, do you know that he forgave sin even before the cross? 
Go back and read your gospel story. There were moments he forgave sin long before the cross. So while it's true the cross brings forgiveness to us, Jesus was forgiving people even before the cross was a historical fact. Secondly, the cross took away judgment. And that's certainly true as well. That Jesus in some ways jumped in front of your life through the cross and he took the bullet that was meant for you. The judgment that was meant for you and I came upon him. And so so he took that away. And I think conceptually, uh, most Christian people understand there's forgiveness and, and, and the cross takes away judgment. Therefore, I don't have to go to hell. I get to go to heaven. Hallelujah. And, 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 and therefore, I'm saved. And, and all these things are true. But that's usually where we stop. I don't want to stop there. Let's, let's just step on and let's try to get a revelation of the cross. Let's really understand in a deep way what Jesus was trying to provide for us. Number one, the cross canceled the curse of the carnal. The cross canceled the curse of the carnal. The natural man is carnal. The natural man is under the dominion of his senses. In other words, what I see, what I hear, what I smell, what I taste, what I feel, that's, that's where I live as a natural man. If I can't, if I, that's what Thomas said. Thomas, didn't he not say concerning the resurrected Jesus? He said, unless I put my, my hands in the holes, unless I thrust it into the side, I will not believe. What was it? Thomas was acting carnally. His senses were dominating, and he said, unless I see it, taste it, hear it, feel it, smell it, I don't, I don't believe it. Jesus came, and he died on the cross in order to break that carnal aspect out of our life. That's a part of the curse. You understand that a part of the curse from our great, 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 great grandparents, Adam and Eve, you understand that a part of the curse that transmitted down to us was that on the day they partook of the fruit, their senses were opened up. And from that moment forward, all of us, as we were born into this earth, were suddenly born with our senses dominating. And you've heard me say this before as a baby. If a baby's wet, what does it do? Because it doesn't want to be wet. If it's hungry, it... If it's cold, it... If it's hot, it... As we get older, we just get more refined at this stuff. Yeah, sometimes that's true. Sometimes. But there was but that curse has has, has transmitted down to all of us until until come on, is it not hard? Is it not just really challenging at times to get through life without your senses dominating you all the time? When, when, you, when things are thrown at you and, and you look at it, and in the natural you say to yourself, this is going to take me out. This is going to bury me. This is going to harm me. This is going to hurt me. I don't know what to do. Come on, how many times in life do things come at us and instantly our eyes see it, our ears hear it, and it, it, it empowers our senses and it brings us worry and anxiety and all those other things. And Jesus came to break the curse of the domination of the carnal in our life so we could actually step into something to where we no longer have to rely on our natural eyes. But Paul said that we walk not by sight, but by faith. And we no longer look at the things that are temporal, but we look at the things that are 
eternal and what looks to be impossible in the eyes of men becomes possible in the eyes of God. And suddenly when everyone else says there's no way, no how, you're done for, God steps in and he resurrects you out of those things. Now, see, this is the key. That, that, that's why we got to keep going back to the cross. That's, that's where I want to live. Galatians 3, 13 and 14 literally says that Christ hung on the cross in order to break the curse of that. And the saddest part really, and again, it's not, it's not being hard on anybody, but do you realize how many Christian people live under the dominion of their senses? They just live under the dominion of their senses. And we read through the gospel story and Jesus looks at us and he says, he says, why do you worry? Why are you anxious? He said, the foxes have holes, the birds have nests. I don't have anywhere to lay my head. Don't worry, be happy. I mean, it just, how can, how can you live like it's You live like that because something's broken in you. Well, how does that get broken? It's at the cross. They've not embraced the power of the cross. Number two. I believe the next step we can go is that the cross restored the rightful place of dominion. The rightful place of dominion. I've, I've taught more times than I can count, and for the sake of time, I'm not going to go into it again, but how many of you know, you know Pastor Baird's views of substitution. Remember, you've heard me. I've harped on this so much. Substitution. That he, he became sin, right? Come on, just nod your heads. Just humor me. Humor me. He became sin... That I might become right. All right. That's substitution. He took on judgment. He took on sin. He became sin in order that I might partake of blessing and that I might become righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21. If you want to know where that's located, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And, and, and so there's at the cross, there's this substitution that takes place. Because you and I are born in sin, we're dominated by our senses. You know, doctrinally, this is the part where sound doctrine comes in. We are children of Satan. Do you understand that? Before you come to know Jesus, you're a child of the devil. Wouldn't that be a good sound bite on MSNBC? You're a child of the devil. Sure it is. The Bible says that. And because of that, we, we, we understand grief and sorrow and pain and disease and infirmity and sickness and bondage. We're lost not because of what we do. We're lost because of who we are. You weren't born and got lost along the way. You were born lost. This is really important stuff. Jesus had no sin. Scripture says he who knew no sin. He had no sin. Therefore, Jesus never had a sense of lack. He had no sense of being limited. He had no sense of being restrained. He had no sense of the impossible. Isn't that cool? That's why he walked around and he could say, I don't know where we're going to sleep tonight. God will, God will figure it out. We'll get there. He never had a problem. His taxes were due. And Peter came up and said, hey, we can't pay our taxes. And Jesus said, let's go fishing. And you can hear him saying, what's that got to do with taxes? The first fish that came out with the coin paid the taxes. He had no sense of the impossible. He could go into the most unusual, convoluted, paradoxical situations, and all of a sudden, God's power would show up. Why, why did it work for Jesus? And Jesus looks at us and says, the works that I do, you can do too. 
Either he was lying or we've missed something. I would suggest to you that we've missed something. Jesus was master of sickness and disease. He was freed from being controlled by his senses. He wasn't afraid of the adversary. I've heard Christians say this. I don't say much out loud because I don't want the devil to hear anything because I just don't want him to know I'm around. It's kind of like I just want to stay out of his crosshairs. Jesus said, put your crosshairs on me because what I have is greater than what you have. There was no fear, no sense of unworthiness or intimidation. Jesus would speak and nature responded. He said, peace be still. The winds would stop. He'd say, come forth, and Lazarus came out of the grave. Yokes were destroyed. Think about the things he did. And Jesus said, the works that I do, you're going to get to do. And we say, well, why isn't it happening? It's because we got to get a revelation of this cross again. He became sin that we might become of God. He became me so that I could become... See? They're theologians. Are you forgiven? Yes. If we never get past the doctrine of forgiveness, we're going to continue to be a defeated army. I've said this for years. The only doctrine the church really lives up to is the doctrine of depravity. It's the only one we got down. We have got to get to the place where, yes, we're forgiven. Yes, the blood cleanses. Yes, we're restored. But we made, we made it this divine substitution that took place. And in that substitution, there lies the possibility of you and I no longer being children of Satan, but the Scripture says that the earth groans now for the revelation of the sons and the daughters of who? Of God. We're no longer slaves to sin, but we're heirs. And we're joint heirs. But here's the deal. In order for the switch to take place, listen to me, this is, and then we're going to come to the table. Oh, this is so important. Holy Spirit, help the people here tonight get this revelation. In order for this to happen, you've got to understand that, that, that the cross isn't there so you can give Jesus a part of your life. See, here's the deal. You've got to give everything you've got to him. And then he gives everything he has to you. Jesus doesn't want to be a part of your life. I'm a stickler on these things. I think words matter. The invitation is never come make Jesus a part of your life. That's not the invitation. The invitation is never Jesus wants part. He's not an add-on. He's he's, he's not like what you, you know, we, we, we put soccer and vacation and other things, they're add-ons to our life. We're not exchanging a quarter of our life, a half of our life, three quarters of our life. It's all of you for all of him. Christianity is not a self-help program. It's not a betterment program. It's not a counseling program. It is a way of life. It is a transformation of what you once were into now who he has made you to be. It's all... Well, you've heard it. If Jesus isn't Lord of all, then he's not Lord of all. You can't give him two rooms and say, I'll take care of the rest. Jesus says, I want the house. You give me the house and I'll bless it all. You can't give me, don't, I, don't want, I don't want that garage. I don't want that. 
I want the best rooms you got. I want the whole deal. And this is the good news. This is why it's good news. It's because literally you may think you're bringing a lot to the table, but but I'm going to let you in a little secret. You don't have anything that impresses him all that much. Not nearly as much as you think. But here's the good news. You get to give him not just your dirty laundry, but you give him every aspect of your life. And that's kind of, at first, a little kind of shaky because I'm giving up everything. All my control, all my dreams, all my desires, all my plans, all my, all my goals. I got to give it all up. Yep, yep, yep. You got to give it up because you see, we're not, Jesus is not, he's not self-actualizing what you want. He, he, what we trade for is his life in us. And he gives us what we were created for in him and what our purposes are in him and what his design is for our life. And we get to throw all we are and all we have upon him. And this is the good news. Then he gives us everything there is of us. And I don't care how you add that one up. That's a good deal. That's a good deal. And so tonight we're going to come to the table of the Lord. And so my musicians, if you would come. And we're going to pray here in just a moment and prepare our hearts. But as you come to the table of the Lord tonight, and as we just partake and worship God, and you receive the elements, I I, I just want you to be thankful. I want you to be grateful. And most of all, I just, I I want you at that moment, they're just symbols. It's just, it's bread and it's, it's a cup of, a cup of, well, it's grape juice. They're symbols. For many, it may not be anything more than ritual. That's sad. But maybe tonight you'll come and you'll gather and you'll worship God. And at the moment you partake of the bread and you drink of the cup, at that moment, something will be activated in you. Revelation would be activated in you, realizing that as you have given everything you have and everything you are, the good, the bad, and the ugly, you gave him everything. What happens is everything that he is, comes inside of you.